Hello and welcome back to a bonus episode of the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. This time I interviewed David Samuel. Many of you will know David if you've done some recruiting in the UK. He has coached many of the top British tennis players through the years. He regularly writes articles and publishes content about sports, psychology and coaching. I would highly recommend picking up a copy of his first book, Locker Room Power, Building an Athlete's Mind. He has now developed an online course named Mindset College to help athletes reach their potential on and off the tennis court. David has also worked outside of tennis, consulting with England rugby and premiership clubs, including Chelsea and Fulham. In this podcast, we discuss how he teaches the players he works with to focus on the mental side of the game, how to help players bounce back from losing matches from a commanding lead, the importance of staying loose, the qualities of a great coach, and much, much more. I really think you'll enjoy this conversation with David. Okay, Dave Samuel, uh, thanks for joining us on the ITA College Tennis Coaches Podcast. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I know a lot of coaches uh, that have, have maybe traveled over to the UK for various tournaments through the years for recruiting are have probably seen you around and, and uh, you know, you've met many of them, obviously, and, and you're very familiar with the college coaching world yourself. You played college tennis, right? Uh, North, Texas and North Texas? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. 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 Many so, moons ago. Yeah. Yeah. But but uh, you have a good understanding of of what the coaches are dealing with and, and kind of some of the com- complexities and nuances of college tennis. So I'm, I'm thrilled that you're joining us today on the podcast. Brilliant. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I hope I can, you know, offer a few gems that can uh, shed some light on something. <laughs> Definitely. I have no doubt. So, um, you know, obviously your, your focus in more recent years has been around uh, the mental side of the game. You, you've been coaching professional tennis players for, for quite some time, but is this something that has always been a priority for you in coaching? Is it something that's evolved through your decades in, in the world of coaching professional tennis players? And kind of how do you go about prioritizing mental training with, your, with the players that you're working with? Um, yeah, I think I think it started actually when I, I mean, even when I was in college, I've always had an interest and understood that the mental side of the game was really, really important. I think what was uh, troubling to me was that you, I would hear a lot, you know, you know, and and still do that. It's it's all in the mind, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously <laughs> playing tennis. <laughs> I kind of thought, you know, I, I'm a pretty good competitor and, and, and I, I think my mind's not too bad, yet, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, I, I did pretty well, but I didn't, I didn't do what I wanted to do in tennis. And, and so when I started coaching, I, I really felt that, you know, the game was also very, very important, how, how well you could actually play tennis. And, and slowly a philosophy began to formulate in my head that mindset is the most important thing, but with this very clear uh, uh, stipulation really at every level. So whatever level you're playing at, the best at that level have the best minds. And because they have good minds and if their game is good enough, they'll progress to the next level and as their game evolves and is good enough, then their mental skills will come more and more to the fore. So I, 
you know, the mental game is incredibly important at whatever level you're playing at. Uh, but I, 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 my own belief is it's, it's, it's nonsense to, to feel like it's everything because uh, from my own personal experience, it definitely isn't. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it, sport is very, very complex and you have to have a lot of things in place in order to be very successful at it, of which mindset uh, is really like the, the glue that holds everything together. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if your glue is poor, things fall apart. But but uh, uh, if you know, even if you've got a very good mindset, and an analogy you know I, I use is you know if you took Rafa Nadal and put him, you know, five miles from the North Pole, dressed in shorts and t-shirt, mentally, you know, there there there's no discussion as to how tough this guy is, but. If you said make the North Pole, he's still going to die because he doesn't have the equipment to survive. And it's still a tough ask, if, even if you have the equipment. But, you know, you've got to be dressed the right way and everything like that. So you need the equipment. And then the mindset, as I said, is the glue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I'll give you a scenario that a lot of coaches deal with. Um, you know, they have a player who's maybe been last match on the match is tied it's a you know every every college match is a big match some are bigger than others but it's last match on uh, maybe they've had a commanding lead they've lost that lead they've lost the match they feel terrible because they feel like they've let the coach down their teammates down the university down i listened to your your podcast with with dan kiernan control the controllables and you, you talked about uh, Liam Brody, who you're working with now, and, and he had a really tough year in 2018, uh, had some commanding leads against some of the best players in the world and, and let those slip away. And, and so this is something college coaches are, are dealing with on, on, I don't want to say a weekly basis, but pretty regular basis. And they have to get their players ready to maybe compete the next day or the next week. And this is lodged in the player's mind. Can you maybe talk about how you helped Liam through that process to kind of get that monkey off his back and maybe how college coaches can help their players through that? And, and really, you know, forget the past. Yeah. <laughs> as, as difficult as that is to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, as coaches, you can only facilitate and offer tools and you hope that, you know, one of the tools lands for the player or the players that are struggling and, and can cause a, a perception shift that can really help them. And I think what experience teaches you is that, uh, you get a, a pretty good grip on the personality and the right tool to use for that player. But there's no guarantee that it's going to work immediately. Uh, uh, it, that's only a, a hope. But what I would say is, is you know, that some of the techniques that, that you can use is, uh, which is kind of elongate time. So what I spoke to Liam a lot about is, you know, time is not a goal. Time is a motivator. And if you, if you believe in the work that you're doing, then good things will happen. You just don't know when. Hmm. So what you want to avoid is beating yourself up too much 
when you've lost a couple of really tough matches because you just don't know when it's going to fall for you. And when it does, then you start to get the rewards for the work. So just keep doing the work and, and believing in the work and then good things will happen. Uh, another technique which, uh, which for some players works very well is to say, right, let's say they've got an important match the next day and you say to them, right, let's look at dinner tomorrow night. The match is said and done. What would you like to look back on? What, what would you like to have seen happen, win or lose, in yourself and the way that you perform on the court? Because players tend to often be so worried about the upcoming match and they get in such a state about a, a, an important match that's coming up. And that kind of narrows their vision. And they, they want to do well, um, but they, they get a little clouded as to what that actually means. And if you can stretch them out to the next evening, looking back on the match, that can often help them get a perspective and say, well, you know, and you've got to really let them speak now and say, you know, so what do you want to feel? You know, you know what do you want to have achieved in that match? You know, again, win or lose. And that starts to get them focused on, on what they actually would like to have happen in the match. And that can often relax them into uh, uh, getting, a, 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 again, a, a better perspective of what they're about to just do and also get some clarity in their mind about what they actually want to bring to the table the next day uh, rather than just kind of rush headlong into the match and, and then after the match have a lot of regrets and you have the dinner after the match and it's all about, you know, I can't believe it, the first set I wasn't really there, you know, it was gone in the blink of an eye and then, you know, a breakdown in the second, I suddenly started to find my game and I thought, you know, actually the guy's not so good or the girl's not so good and, and I actually had a real chance there but it was too late. Mm. And if you can stretch them forward. So, you know, those are just a couple of techniques uh, uh, that, you know, could be helpful. I could go into others if you No, I, I really like that. And, and from, you know, that, so for a college coach who's, you know, potentially having maybe six to eight players playing the next day, it's maybe something they could do individually writing down, but they could also do it as a team, right? I mean, they could talk about how they want to feel the next day after that match as, as a collective. Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, you could even kind of combine both, you know, you have a meeting and say, okay, you know, have, you know, two minutes and write down everything you want to feel and see tomorrow night mm -hmm. and then share it with the, with the team. And then, then you can go to collectively as a team, what do we want to feel tomorrow night? Mm. You know, right. and I, I think it's important to stress win or lose because, uh, that kind of makes him think that, you know, how I feel after the match, if, if I do everything that I can and everything that I've laid out here that I, I want to see from myself and the team wants to see as a, as a collective from themselves, then, you know, that's all you can do. And if, if you still happen to land up losing, uh, you can still be proud of, the fact that you put out there the best that you can put out there. Uh, 
mm-hmm. you know, because sport, <laughs> there are no guarantees, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what you're trying to do as a coach is to get them to perform and give them the best chance to perform. Right. And and one of the things, another thing you spoke with Dan was just the, the maturation process of, of tennis players and, and individuals in general. And I think that's something, you know, I mean, same with working with pros, right? You don't know how long that window is going to be with college tennis players. You do, you do know how long that window is going to be. It's going to be four years. And yeah. You know, you've recruited who you, uh, a player that you you think is going to contribute in a certain way right out of the gates, and then that player falls short of those expectations, and maybe they're struggling with just adjusting to college life or time management, or their game just isn't adapting to the hard court, say, or or the rigors of of college tennis in general. And coaches then maybe lose a bit of patience with that player. You see players transferring after the first year. Maybe they're not getting playing time. Maybe it's just not a good fit. But how do you encourage coaches to respect that maturation process and how much time to give it with a player and um, how it's just, you know, rather than putting players on on a specific timeline, that that timeline might be different from one player to the next? Well, the question I'd ask a coach is this. How would you feel about a player that really struggles and for two years is underperforming? You know, and, you know, struggles with coming to college. I mean, you know, the, 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 the culture shock of, you know, high school to college and, and all the stuff that goes around it, you know, every person goes into a bit of chaos and chaos is not necessarily a bad thing. Chaos can be a very good thing because in chaos is where you learn. I mean, you know, small things like, you know, where everything is, you know, where your classes are, you know, uh, adjusting to the fact that you choose when you study and when you don't study and, you know, there, you know, and, and learning all about sororities and fraternities and whether you want to do this or not. And that, so there's a lot that, a lot of stimulation that comes into these kids' lives in a very fast way. Mm. And some will adjust better than others, but they're all going to be in some kind of chaos, and it's really how fast they can come out of that. But going back to my original question, if a player underperformed for two years and then had a decent year and then won NCAAs in their fourth year, how would you feel about that player's college career with you as a coach? Hmm. Probably pretty good at the end. <laughs> Probably pretty good at the end. Yeah. But I think, again, coaches need to have that kind of perspective. And therefore, when you recruit somebody, I think patience is really important because maturity is different for everybody. And as long as the attitude is one that's trying to get better, one that's, you know, really working hard to improve. Hmm. And you really believe in their ability. If they, if they have a good work ethic and they have a, a good attitude and you believe in their talent, they will come good unless you put so much pressure that they start to see themselves as a failure. Because once you plant that seed that they are letting you down, I mean, it's, it's very, very hard for a player to 
to recover from that. Mm. You know, they're feeling a failure all the time and they're feeling a pressure to, to maybe, you know, if they, if they react in, in a way of, to try and prove you wrong, that can work for some players, you know. But again, they, they're playing all the time with a, a, really a monkey on their back, which is either to prove you wrong or, you know, to, to feel like they're not, you know, you're not going to be ashamed of them and, and, and that, you know, you're sorry that you recruited them. And, and all of these guilt feelings are, you know, don't help a player perform. So I think it's, you know, if, if the culture of the, of the team is one of, you know, if you work hard and your attitude's good, it's, it's good. And it's our job to help facilitate more winning. Mm. And if they're not winning, I think the first thing you've got to look at is what are the things that we can do to support this person to get out of them what we know is there. And there are a number of, you know, mental skills that you can help players with to, to understand that there is a process and that you have the patience to go through that process with them as long as the attitude is great and, and that they're, they're, they genuinely are trying to perform. Hmm. Yeah, those are wise words, Dave, and, and something that I fell short of sometimes when I was coaching. And, and yeah, you, you get so wrapped up in the results and, and sometimes look beyond the players' uh, great attitude and great work ethic, and you're so desperate for them to win and, con- and contribute to the team. But that just might take a, a year or two, maybe three, uh, like you said. But, um, you know, going back to the mental skills again, one of the other things that, that you spoke with Dan was you gave the example of Pete Sampras and, and kind of this tension between hard work and relaxation. And, and I really loved what you talked about there. Could you expand upon that a little bit and how, you know, we kind of, uh, you know, misconstrued uh, Pete Sampras's body language on the court and, and how that was actually benefiting him and, working towards the relaxation because I think a lot of time college coaches, they want their players to act in a certain way, be pretty boisterous, you know, kind of rah, rah, um, have great energy, have great body language all the time, but that might be uh, uh, preventing them from relaxing in the way that will allow them to play their best tennis. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So Sampras is, is, a very high profile example of somebody who wasn't rah-rah. I mean, Bjorn Borg was another one that they had internal fires and they also understood very, very clearly that to play good tennis, you have to be loose and to be loose means you need to be relaxed. And sometimes you'd be watching them play and feel like they're being pretty listless, lethargic almost. And that is because they're trying to, they might be nervous internally and everything and, 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 and got quite a bit of turmoil going on inside. And they are trying desperately to stay loose whilst they work their way into the match and find a way to, 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 you know, have the nerves clear to a point where they can start to execute better. And their way of doing it would be to err on the side of not 
pushing too hard. And, and that, I mean, I think you, you can't confuse because trying in tennis is loose. And, mm. and it's not like, come on, come on with a tight body. You know, you can go with the big commands, but then your body has to immediately loosen off again so you can play the next point. And, you know, if you, you know, Nadal can be very, very energized in that, but then watch how he goes to his towel and relaxes. And, he, you know, he does take a lot of time. And, and part of that is to, you know, maybe get some of the adrenaline down and get himself nice and, and, and loose again. So, you know, as a college coach, I think getting to know the player and finding a balance that really works for them is key because then they will perform for you. So if, if you had taken Sampras into a college team and made him, you know, really, you know, be all come on after every point and, you know, and, and all of that stuff, I think he would have struggled because it's just not him. Mm. But, you know, if you look in his eyes, do not, des- you know, you, you, you could see some real fire and desire and, and the way he would, you know, come alive and explode on the court uh, shows you that that fire is burning incredibly bright, you know, mm. and, and, you know, uh, and that, you know, I remember watching Sampras often where you go to four all and, and he'd barely make a return. It just looked like he wasn't interested. And then suddenly he hit a one good return and, and you see him come alive and, and, you know, smell a bit of tension on the other side. And then he became like a cat who is just literally looking for those openings and, and, and to pounce. So, you know, every person and every player is, is different. And uh, whilst I, I understand you want a positive energy, which is incredibly important, uh, just make sure that it, that it works for everybody and, and that it's okay for somebody to express their desire in different ways. Mm. Yeah. And, and even with Nadal, right, through his career, I mean, when he came on the scene at 16, he was pumping his fist all the time. But as he's got older and probably is more conscious of saving his energy, he, he saves those kind of come-ons and those. Key moments. Yeah, for the key moments, which which is interesting. Um, okay, just switching. I, I've got one little example there, which I think is is important. And, and maybe for some younger coaches. And, and I would caution players and coaches, timing of when you express yourself is incredibly important. So if, if you're 30, 40, and you play a great point and get to deuce, and you're like, come on, and just like, there's a huge explosion of, of, of energy and enthusiasm and, and, and it's, it's often then that a player will immediately go a little flat after such an expression. Mm. And the next point is actually incredibly important. And, and so I, I would always encourage players, you know, don't celebrate to get a break point, only celebrate after you've broken. You know, and if you if you if you're down 30, 40 on your serve and you hit an ace, don't go crazy then. You know, when you've held, you can, you know, really express yourself. And 
and same in a tiebreaker, you know, you go up 6-4 in the breaker and you've hit a great passing shot or something and you, you know, down on your knees with the, with the whole thing and the whole team is going crazy. It may affect your ability to focus on the next point if you can, you know, channel that into the next point and then have the, the, the explosion of joy. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think being too happy in tennis is just as dangerous as being too negative. Mm. Yeah. Well, well, switching gears a little bit, um, obviously you, you, you've coached uh, uh, some, some great players. You've been around a lot of great, great coaches, not just in the UK, but all over the world. What are some of the qualities you see in some of the best coaches that you've been around and, and some of the qualities that, that college coaches would benefit from, from adopting? Uh, Great question. Really good question. I wouldn't say this is necessarily in any order, but my the first thing I say is timing. You know, what you say and when you say it is incredibly important. The second thing is how you say it. So tone of voice. Mm-hmm. And eye contact and uh, and body language when you say something is is incredibly important. If you get the timing right, you get the tone right, and the body language shows how much you believe in your statement or in your question to them uh, is 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 huge. Uh, I think all the coaches who've been around for a long time will really uh, resonate with this one is <laughs> the older you get, the more you realize less is more. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, if you give so much information to players and you overload them, you will hurt their performance. And I think I never give a player more than, two instructions, whether it's in training or match, and sometimes just one. Mm. Because, it, you know, if, if you – also, if, you, if you're watching a match and, and after the match you've got 20 things you want to say to the player, before you talk to them, narrow it down to the one or two things that will give you the most bang for your buck. Because often they take care of – some of the other things, if you get those right. So really narrow down to the key point or key two points that you want to get through to the player. Uh, Because you want them to come away from that experience genuinely with something that they can focus on. And if you talk to them about 20 things, uh, you don't know which one they're going to choose as, as, as their focal point. And, and they may choose the one that's really going to give you the least bang for your buck. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think those are, those are definitely key things. I think also environment that you create, the culture that you create um, has to be fun, hard work, and one that is not fear-driven. You know, fear can get players to perform, 
But as coaches, you, you're also responsible for, especially in college, for key development time in these people's lives. And what type of people do you want coming out of your program? You know, players that believe that fear is the, the main driver behind success or an involvement and a, a positive uh, expression of trying to get better every day as, as the main message that comes out of a program. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and also as a, as a coach, what kind of legacy do you want to leave? You know, players who did well but, you know, were terrified of you or even you know, hated you when they left. Uh, or do you want players? And this is not uh, this is not about being soft. Absolutely not. But it's about being firm but fair, and understand that you're you have a responsibility to the perceptions and the mindset that they're going to have, that you're going to have an influence on, that they're going to take forward in their lives, and. You know, obviously they have a lot of other experiences that contribute to that, but you are one of the contributors. Mm-hmm. And I think coaches need to think a little carefully. Yes, it's about winning, but I think a coach like John Wooden proves that you can do all that and be the greatest. You know, it, it, it's, not, it's not, you know, nice guys finish last. That's rubbish. Mm-hmm. People who know what they're doing and have a good culture and, and engender some really great values uh, into their program and their players, uh, you know, that, that, is, that is special. That's the gold. And, mm-hmm. and it's got nothing to do with whether you will be successful or not. Mm-hmm. And just uh, pulling on that thread a little bit more, obviously you've developed coaches yourself, uh, your time at Bath and managing a team there, a team of coaches. How would you encourage head coaches to help the development of their assistant coaches or volunteer coaches? What, what actions or, or feedback can they be providing their assistant coaches to, to bring them along and, and make them um, you know, an even more important part of their team and, and somebody they can delegate more and more duties to? Uh, another very good question. In that role, you're not just the head coach, you're also a mentor. And a mentor asks good questions. And a mentor will, will give somebody freedom to express themselves, but at the same time, see what's happening and question motives, question ideas, and help them find for themselves their rhythm and their philosophy that will take them forward as you know, great head coaches when their chance comes rather than see it as I've got somebody here I can delegate to and have less responsibility as to the environment that ultimately as a head coach you create. So 
I have seen programs where the the assistant coach pretty much runs every practice. The assistant coach, uh, you know, uh, does a lot of the practical work and the head coach shows up for matches and for team talks and, you know, has, you know, a more hands-off approach to the day-to-day. And whilst that kind of delegation is fine, it's only fine if you are still there enough and have input and you, you can clearly help the assistant coach find his or her way. And, and that mentoring role ought to be taken again, very, very seriously. Uh, And I think you, you have a responsibility to stay current in terms of coaching um, courses and, 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 and I mean now in terms of mindset and culture and all, all of that, that, if you come across one that really resonates with your philosophy and, and, and your way of thinking that you help your assistant coaches go on those courses and, and develop them and really look to, to help them develop. And really importantly, I'd say, you know, once a week you should be having a private conversation and that conversation has to be more about, how they feeling, what what they think can help the team, what they think can help them develop, and and really get genuine feedback. And you can't have that genuine feedback if you talking to them and answering you know a, a WhatsApp message at the same time. You got to be present. You got to really hear, and then with that hearing, you will pick up things. And I would also have one-on-ones with the players and if they really trust you you know they will give you information where possibly the assistant could do better Mm. and in and in a in a in a nice and and safe environment you can have those discussions and again if the assistant coach really trusts you they will take this upgrading feedback in the right way. And, and I, I really think at Bath, certainly my, my idea was to create a team of leaders. And the way I did that was in the first two years, you know, every three months, I would have a one hour one-to-one with each coach and each physical trainer. And, and I would give them questions that they'd have to really think about to come with answers for, and then I'd also spring some as a surprise on them. But that way, they became a team of leaders. And, and you know, Bath runs incredibly well, whether I'm there or not. Mm-hmm. And really and truthfully, uh, you know, I know that they do love to have me down there but I've, I've actually made myself redundant. <laughs> but at the same time, I, I have an input, I still think, uh, on just 
culturally and and I'm a sounding board now where they you know the coaches will ask me you know what do you think of this you know how would you approach this and 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 it's a very it's a really safe environment and and players and coaches I'd say by and large are not afraid to to ask the difficult questions mm-hmm. and and to face the difficult questions I hope yeah. that made sense no it makes it makes perfect sense thanks for sharing that and and I think uh, head coaches will take that on board and and uh, really think uh, more deeply you know with as as any coach right you get in you're busy there's just so much going on between the travel and and trying to take care of the players and meet their needs first, you often forget about the team around you and, and what their needs are and how they need to be developed. And through their development, that's helping your team and it's also helping their future. And, and uh, you're, you're not just a coach to your, your players. Like you said, you're a mentor to, to those that are, are working with you and working for you. So no, that that's great. Um, may, may I interject one thing? Of course. Um, and I did learn this the hard way. But these private discussions are incredibly important. And I learned to put them in the diary and have them scheduled. Mm -hmm. And whilst I'm not a great routine person, there are certain routines that you have to put in the diary or they just do not happen. And then they happen ad hoc and often to fight a fire. And if you have these discussions, you avoid a lot of fires. And and my organizational skills, you know, over the last 10 years have improved enormously because of the importance of getting the key things into the diary and as much as possible sticking to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with so many different things coming at you, it's it's again uh, as as college coaches, they they wear so many different hats. Um, you know, whether it's recruiting or fundraising or marketing their program, never mind the recruiting and the development of players. It's really figuring out what it what is important. What what are my main priorities here, and where am I getting the biggest uh, bang for my buck? Um, and by scheduling those things, that, that becomes clear to you as to what really is important. So, Well, at the end of the day, if the team doesn't perform, mm-hmm. you know, you're in trouble. So ultimately, whilst you have all these other responsibilities, first and foremost, the job is the team and to try and get the team to perform mm-hmm. really well. And the other stuff has to go around that. But the better you mentor and the, 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 the more, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, the more your environment that you create is a thriving environment, the less input you have to have into keeping that environment great because mm-hmm. it becomes just part of the way it is. And, and, People educate each other in an environment like that. And when the freshmen come in, there is an environment there that's very strong. And the the players themselves will do a lot of the work for you because they've learned it and they they believe in it and they they're happy and performing and they will they will do a lot of the teaching the freshmen for you. 
Mm-hmm. So it, whilst it's labor intensive, whilst Bath the first two years, the, the energy that I put in there, I, I look back and think, wow, you know, I was a bit crazy. But, you know, since that foundation was laid, you know, eight years on, it's still, you know, in eight years, so it's 10 years in total, it's still, uh, uh, I'd say, a very healthy environment. Mm. And because everybody there teaches each other and, 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 and it's actually kicks on all the time because there's always another level, another step to find. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, uh, so it, it's worth putting the time into the important things. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of reminds me of, of I think it's Jim Collins and Good to Great talks about the flywheel effect and, and just, yeah, you know, we think about coaches, whether it's transitioning from assistant coach to head coaching position or head coach at one college moving to another college and that work, that foundation that you lay in those first few years, it's, it's an incredible amount of work. But understanding that that work, that foundation you put in the first couple of years will pay off and you will be able to then tackle some other projects, uh, some other priorities once you've laid that foundation. And I think sometimes coaches, college coaches maybe feel like they have to do it all straight out of the gates and spread themselves a little too thin uh, rather than having that patience. And it goes back to that maturation process that we were talking about earlier, not just for players, but for coaches as well, having patience with themselves. Sometimes it's hard to be patient, but, um, moving on to again, if, if all of this was tremendously easy, then we wouldn't be having this discussion. Hmm. It is, you know, life is messy. It is, it is not, ever easy but i can't remember who said this but uh, you know I, I borrowed from whoever and grateful to whoever it was that i heard it from uh that you know easy is hard and hard is easy mm. yeah you know if you if you if you do the hard yards then it gets easier if you take the easy way you you, you have to be brave to to be a a a very good coach i believe mm. you know and and you've got to be brave enough to follow your instincts but your instincts need to be educated instincts that you you know you have read a lot you have been around a lot of coach you have you do talk you do find out a lot so that you have you know really good instincts and again it takes time you you just do not become a very you know, good coaching in, in one year. Mm-hmm. No, <laughs> it goes back to, you know, even for players, I think the 10,000 hours, you know, yeah, you know, it, it, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we're, we're guilty of wanting that, uh, that, I don't know, secret code or golden key that, you know, this is what this coach is doing. And if I just replicate that or somebody can give me a book or they can give me a course, I'll have it all figured out and I'll know what to do. And it's just, like you said, it's messy. You just got to put in the time. You've got to learn those lessons and you've got to reflect upon, right? I mean, if you're not, you can go through, you know, you can make mistakes, but if you're not acknowledging those mistakes, if you don't have the awareness that you've made the mistake, it's hard, hard to learn. And those that, that, do have an awareness or do have a system in place to learn from those will probably develop a little faster and not make the same mistakes over and over again. 
I will say this, that for me personally, I've always had this philosophy in place that in five years' time, when I look back, I want to go, oh, mm. uh, there was a few things that I could have done a lot better. And if I look back, you know, when, when I was 35 years old, I thought I was King Kong and, you know, this amazing coach. And I look back now and I go, mm, you know, there was a lot of brashness there. There was some arrogance. And, you know, whilst I, I was doing, you know, pretty well with players and, uh, and was always a learner, I look back and, and I've learned a hell of a lot. And again, in five years' time, I don't want to look back on myself now and say, wow, you, you, you know, I haven't progressed. Mm -hmm. uh, that, you know, you know the, the saying that, you know, this is me, this is just how I am, take it or leave it. Uh, at any given moment, yes. But I would hate to think in five years' time, I'm going, hey, this is me, take it or leave it. And I haven't progressed, and I'm and and I'm 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 talking about exactly the same, you know, uh, uh, person in terms of you know my abilities to to coach. Mm. You, you, you're always a student of the game. You're always a student of people. You're always learning, and and that is really for me the the great thing about coaching is. It's about the progress of the players. It's about the progress of the people around you. And it's about your own progress. And as long as you're progressing, hey, that's, that's a great track to be on. The only thing anybody can ever accuse you on is you should have progressed faster. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, okay. But I could have also progressed slower. And that, that wouldn't have been, you know, great either. Mm -hmm. So, it, you know, it's, it's this never-ending cycle of, of, of trying to get better and the, and the best players. I mean, you see how, you know, Nadal has, has adjusted his game over the years. You know, at the French Open, he played more balls inside the baseline than anybody else. You know, I think if we look back at his early French Open wins, I doubt that it would have been, a, been the case. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the best in the world are always learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you talk about learning, you, you've uh, been very pro productive during the, the COVID break and you developed Mindset College. Um, and, you know, I, as, as I was going through it, I, I was really struck by how you've gone beyond just, just players setting goals and, and creating a vision. You know, that, that again is, is the foundation, but you discuss things like the power of awareness overcoming introversion, building a legacy, dealing with conflict. You know, these are things that a lot of, you know, um, uh, online courses or programs or books don't really tackle. Um, so why, why did you tackle these things and why are they important to the development of a tennis player? The, 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 the main reason is I know how important these things are. You're dealing with, human beings and comparison, judgment, uh, you know, all of these things that you've mentioned come up in their everyday lives. Conflict, you know, I've known some, you know, great players who really struggle to, you know, 
tell a coach that they're not happy about something and then, you know, may even just sack a coach just because they didn't want to have the confrontation. Yet they're happy to go out on the court and, and confront another world-class player. But tennis is that one step removed. It's not a direct uh, verbal confrontation. It's, it's a physical confrontation, which in many ways is easier. Um, you know, yes, it's a huge battle of the minds, uh, but it's done with a tennis racket and, and through a tennis game. Whereas if you sit down and have to talk to somebody on a, on a really difficult subject, as an example, uh, it's pretty helpful to not see that conflict as, uh, as a negative, that, that conflict is always an opportunity if you do it in the right way to find out where somebody, and I always say that, you know, when you go into a conflict, it's, it's a place of curiosity first and foremost, ask questions in a way that makes them feel able to tell you exactly where they're sitting and, and what they're feeling. And if you can get that from somebody, then you can explain how you're feeling. And then it's, it's now, you know, uh, uh, you know, which I have in the courses, you know, you, you put the issue between the two of you and, and work together to solve the issue rather than attack each other with the issue. So, so the reason I put this all together is in my day-to-day -day coaching and in my coaching life, all of these things in one form or another have come up and been important to a player's progress. Mm. And I hadn't found a place that's specifically for the sport where you can, like you've said, find some of these answers and hopefully, you know, the course definitely doesn't have all the answers, but what I wanted to do is stimulate reflection and thought that can allow people to use their own imagination to start to tackle some issues and problems in a different way, send them down maybe different paths to explore rather than brush them under the carpet, which is the easiest way. So I deal with the tennis player. I don't have to deal with the fact that they can't play because they broke up with their girlfriend last night. Mm. Well, I'm afraid you do, you know, and that's not, you don't have to be their friend or whatever, but you do need to be aware of these things. And again, when you know there's something going on in someone's life, you have to give them the space to be able to let you know what it is because it will affect their tennis really, really badly if it's something that's important. Because if you don't know what's going on in their lives, uh, you know, you, you're leaving it to chance and that's not, not a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I did lose my train of thought. There was one other thing I wanted to say. I'll, when it comes up to me again, I'll, I'll, I'll yeah. bring it. I hope that answers the question. Somehow. No, no, it does. And, and uh, no, I, I really appreciated that in the course. And, and I think a lot of college coaches, like, like most coaches, they, they do want their, especially as we talked about, it's a four-year deal. You know that coming in. Um, but a lot of college coaches are in the profession because they do want to help develop the players they coach 
not just on the tennis court, but prepare them for life after college. That's, that's super important for them. But I think sometimes they're not really sure how to go about that. And maybe they're leaving it too much to chance or, uh, or, or, you know, too informally, as we talked about earlier, scheduling certain things. But would you have any suggestions as to how college coaches can more, I guess, systematically help their players and their teams not only develop their mental skills, but also help with their development as the as a whole human, you know, a, a whole holistic side of, of helping uh, individuals reach their potential and be ready for a messy life um, after the age of 22? I mean, the simple answer is get on board with Mindset College. So much of my knowledge is actually there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then expand on it and make it work for, for your program. Uh, and it's, it is... It is a process, and like I said, I would say the most important thing is the relationship that you have with the players. And with the best will in the world, you cannot build that in team meetings. You can only go so far with that. The only way you will really build that is by talking individually with each person on a fairly regular place basis, and you can get to the point where they will request to talk to you because they trust you rather than scheduling it in. Mm-hmm. And that's a great place to be. Like I do not have my quarterly meetings with the coaches at Bath anymore. They request when they want to have that a discussion with me. And I trust and know that they will uh, when, when something's really that they really want to talk through or sound, sound me out about, they will request that, that meeting. And so again, the hard yards early on pay off that when a college kids in their third and fourth year, they might speak to you only privately once a semester or, or once in the year because they've got what they need and they, 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 they become very resilient themselves. Hmm. But you have to build that relationship. And I'd say so much of it is about in that moment, even if it's 15 minutes or, or, or sometimes just a two or three minute discussion, try to avoid when, and, and, and really, and this is, again, what I just remembered, be very vigilant for the throwaway comment. A throwaway mm-hmm. comment is often an opening for you to say, oh, ah, let I, I need to speak to this person more. So, you know, throwing her, you know, my mom's always on my back. And you go, oh, right. Go, hey, yeah, no. It's, so, you know, do you want to talk about that? And they go, nah, 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 it's fine. And it's not the right time. They've thrown away, they've given that throwaway comment and you just log it and go, right, at some time when the, when the feeling is right and the moment's right, and it might be, you know, in a practice session, you know, you, you, you pull one of them out and just say, hey, you know, let's, let's just take a walk. Let's have a 20-minute break from tennis. Let's just have a, a, a chat, uh, you know, a little walk and take them walking and, and, you know, 
and you know the practice will go on fine assistant coach can take care of that and and then just you know if and 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 have the chat with them and say you know i just noticed that you you know said that you know your mom as an example is on your back it could be anything it's like you know i i i, I can't win the important matches and then, and then you can start to again and and ask questions that make them think and really come clean with you about what's really going on. And to do that, again, you can't be walking and and only half there. You got to be present. You got to be focused on them only. And you can't be like, oh, hold on a second, I just got to take this call. Uh, oh, hold on, I'll just reply to this because you break the moment and then the trust goes. So you've got to know when you are in a in a, a key conversation and you've got to shut down everything else and have that conversation. And it might be literally walking to the courts or, you know, uh, catching them, you know, at a coffee shop or something. You just never know when that moment arises and you just feel it's the moment and your instinct's telling you it's the moment shut everything else down and go with that moment because it, it, it could be the key moment that unlocks something for a player that gives them an amazing season from a mediocre season because often it's just one clearance out of the head or the, 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 the incredible realization from the player that, wow, you know, he or she really cares about what's happening in my life, really cares about me mm -hmm. and has my best interests at heart. So I'm going to play my heart out for this person because they hear me, they see me, they pick up on things that are important to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much what I can say on that conversation because, and again, with experience, you get better and better at picking up these little comments that, mm, I really, I, I, I need to look into that. You yeah. Know, uh, you know, and, and, you know, without disclosing anything, there was a, a young girl who, you know, said a couple of times, you know, I don't know why, the trainer just keeps getting on at my diet. I don't eat chocolate. And then had a discussion with the trainer, just saying, you know, what do you think is going on? And the trainer thought that might maybe something was going on. And then in a discussion with the player, it was very clear that, her relationship with food was not healthy and you know we got her help and you know she went on to to be absolutely fine and and is you know having a a very good college career mm -hmm. yeah yeah i i love that that's a that's a great way to end this uh conversation dave uh, i think we need to to land this plane now but just uh, quickly, where, where can coaches learn more about the work that you've done over the years and, and Mindset College if they're interested in purchasing the course? Yeah, if you go to davidsamuel.com, uh, everything is there. Uh, there's some about my background there. And, and then if you 
Mindset College is part of the the, the, the website, mm-hmm. and and also just you know email me. I'm happy to you know answer emails. David at MindsetCollege.co.uk, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm you know I'm happy to connect with anybody because it's such an amazing sport that we're in, and and there are so many amazing people within the sport with incredible talent I'm not just talking about players mm. coaches uh, are such an integral part of this game and and so influential on young people's lives and you know if you keep that in the forefront of your mind I don't think you're going to go far wrong mm-hmm. uh, because when 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 it's about the players and it's about assistant coaches and it's about trainers uh you will find the right ways to do these things because if you're that way minded, it'll, you know, it'll unfold for you. It'll, it'll, it'll come to you and you'll keep making mistakes all the time. It, it's the human condition. It's okay. You know, overall, you just want to be able to obviously be successful in terms of results, but also successful in terms of people, which is ultimately more important. But, don't get me wrong. I definitely want to win still. <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. But, uh, well, Dave, thanks for, yeah, you, you did uh, give our coaches plenty of gems today. Lots to think about. Uh, excited to get this out to them and, and uh, for them to learn more about the work that you're doing. So, uh, yeah, let's keep the conversation going and hope to see you maybe at the U.S. Open next uh, whenever. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I sincerely hope so. Uh, and and really thank you very much for having me on Uh, thank you for the style of questioning it's a nice easy style and uh, I've felt very comfortable throughout so thank you very much David it's been been really good very welcome